Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for bringing us into this place. I thank you, Lord, for everyone who is joining. Maybe they're not feeling well today. Maybe they're out of town and they're joining online. I thank you for them. God, I thank you that you are faithful, that we can trust in you. No doubt, Lord, we all have situations and circumstances in our lives connected to people that we love. Many times they feel beyond our control. But nothing, Lord, is beyond your control. And so as we humbly gather and we bow now before your word, we pray that the posture of our heads is also the posture of our hearts, that we are humble before you, and that as we come to the place where your word ministers to our deepest need, that, Father, we acknowledge our only hope is Jesus the hope of our family members, the only hope is Jesus. The hope for our nation, the only hope for our nation and world is Jesus. So we love you, Jesus. And we thank you for laying down your life so that we who are condemned criminals, guilty on all accounts, are able to go free because Jesus was condemned in our place. So we worship you, we praise you, and we seek your honor and glory above our own. For Jesus' sake and in his name we pray, amen. Well, we're going again to Jude. Today we'll be In one of the closing sections, it's actually a refreshing section that we enter into. It's been pretty heavy. You remember Jude wanted to write a letter. He wanted to be gentle and just rejoice about our common salvation. But the Holy Spirit would not let him write that letter. And so he was willing to write the letter that was a letter of warning. Beware, watch out. There's a threat of false teachers. So his letter is actually overflowing with love. It's loving to speak the truth in love, and that's what he's doing. And it's coming from an individual that once he rejected Jesus. That was his half-brother. He was not a worshiper of Jesus. I'm sure there were times when he couldn't stand his brother. But now he's unflinching in the face of aberrant teaching. He refuses to back down. You know the song, won't back down. That's Jude. He will not back down. You're not going to get him to come up with any other conclusion about his half-brother than where he would stand at this point and where he would one day die. He sees the threat of these who were coming into the first century church. They were saying things like they have a better knowledge or a higher knowledge or a superior hidden knowledge. So Jude exposed these people. These people have been present in every age. They were present in Jude's day. They've been down through time. They're present in our day. And here's the thing, loved ones. These people that Jude has been talking about, they rarely know that they are these people. They'll hear a message, and to some degree, they'll they'll buy in and say, yeah, let's, let's watch out for these people. Anyway, back to what I was telling you about. Okay, so he leaves it generic for the purpose of the church to say, hang on a second. Let's compare this to the teaching. Let's compare this to the truth. Let's compare this to Jesus. Let's compare this to the apostles. As Jesus said, when the men were sleeping, that's when the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. So let's wake up, right? Let's be alert. And just when you think Jude can move on, and I've already said this is a refreshing section, it 
Seems like he's uh, able to turn the page, but even in the section we come to today, he still doesn't turn the page all the way. It's like he shifts gears, but he doesn't move on, yet he has something more to say about these people. I thought you made your point, Jude. I think he's saying here, but you don't understand how corrupt they are. You don't understand how deadly and how dangerous they are. You see, what once begins out in orthodoxy and then buys into a liberality, a, a license to sin, ends up just being empty and shut down. Many of you might remember, um, I remember seeing it on TV on Sunday mornings, you know, the Crystal Cathedral, and, and that was the new power of positive thinking, and, and many people were captivated by that, and Robert Schuller, and it was but a few years ago, and that was on the market, and no one wanted the building. Because all of those people that bought into your best life now is how that's repackaged in our day. But it comes and it goes and it, it, it ceases to represent anything outside of and beyond me. And I'm not that glorious. I hear I snore. I don't know if I believe it or not. but And so if you think about having me at the center of my worship, having you at the center of worship... It really is not that glorious. It's not that wonderful. And so it, you feel like maybe I traded and exchanged something and I got the raw end of the deal. So Jude is saying, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's truth. Hold to the truth. Jude, verse 17. It's, if you can picture a shifting of scenes, this is it. He's gone through, he's talking about these people, they, these people, them, their loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, now he's talking about the apostles, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building up yourselves, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. This morning... We're going to not be able to get through the entire section. That was my original plan. And we're just going to cover really just the first point here, okay? Uh, he says this. He changes this tone, and he says, Dearly beloved. So if we're going to pull from this text, we need, loved ones, godly wisdom and biblical discernment. As we wait for Christ's return, this is what we need. We need godly wisdom and biblical discernment. So Judas has shifted the scene. It's, a, it's the music changes, the lighting changes, loved ones. Now you, let me talk to you. There's a contrast. Maybe you have children and they've tried this, or maybe when, when you were a child, you tried the idea. But mom, you know, Johnny's parents, they don't care if he stays out all, you know, till lady. They don't care if he goes to the park. They don't, what, what's the response from the parent? I don't care because Johnny's mom isn't your mom. I am, right? You're in a different family. So you can't bring their family rules and move me one bit by, well, they don't care if they do this. I do care and I'm your dad. So here's how it is as for me in my house. This is where we are. And their rules don't bear on us. This is what he's doing. It's, it's almost like a father to a dearly beloved Makes me feel like we're going to the wedding here. Dearly beloved, we've gathered. Right, these loved ones. I love you, but you, the others, we're dealing with them, but I love you, loved ones. Let's, let's talk about what are the expectations. And so it, on one point, it's comforting, but it's also convicting. 
This is what he's saying. Number one, remember the divine warning. Remember the divine warning. We see this in the first three verses of our, of our passage. The divine warning that came from men with divine authority from Jesus Christ. These were chosen directly by Jesus. They were empowered for the inauguration of the church. So let's understand in this divine warning, the office of the apostle was a one-time non-repeatable office. And I know there are some who call themselves apostles today. They claim to speak for Christ, but scriptural, according to the Bible, there is only one group of individuals, and it's the apostles of Jesus Christ for the founding of the church. And Judah saying they foretold this. They foretold this would be coming, foretold by the apostles of Jesus Christ. The church was warned report, re, repeatedly. These guys, as they were trained, Jesus warned them. The apostles warned the church. There's a threat. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. So the 13 apostles, there were, they were known as the 12, okay? That title, Judas fell out. They added another one in. Then Paul is called uh, Saul of Tarsus. He's saved, and he comes to faith in Christ, and he is also sent as an apostle. The 13 apostles were Christ's authoritative representatives here on earth after he ascended. So these men, they led in wisdom, they led in the power of the Holy Spirit. They also led in plurality, not in a dictatorship. So when that altercation happened between Peter and Paul, Peter did not pull and try to pull rank as if he had any in his individuality. When Paul said, you were eating with the Gentiles and then your Jewish buddies showed up from Jerusalem and you got away from the table and you, you mocked the Gentiles, you, uh, you obliterated the gospel by doing that. You confused, confused foods with gospel. And Peter didn't say, hey, you know who I am? Peter, James, John, it was always me, number one, Paul. You're late to the table. In plurality, they had to take the matter. So now you know, I say often book, chapter, verse, right? But where in the Bible book, chapter, verse is the time that we meet? So we don't check our brains at the door. The Bible doesn't tell you what car to drive, and it doesn't tell you exactly the name of the person who to vote for. Well, but why said book, chapter, verse? There's principles. Christianity is not, here's what you wear, here's what you eat, here's what you don't eat, here's the list. That's legalism. Then legalism, it gets adopted, then it gets purported to other people, and it becomes levels within the church of where you are, and that has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with the scriptures. So we have to, even in the early church, they ruled, what do we do with the Gentiles that are coming to faith in Christ? And have they received the Holy Spirit? And are we really one? Oh, this is what, so in plurality, they took the teaching of Jesus and they applied it to different situations and circumstances, just as Paul did writing to the Corinthians dealing with specific issues in Corinth and he would write to Ephesus and deal with specific issues in Ephesus, but he didn't write anything to Richmond. He didn't write anything to the United States of America. So it's not written to us, it's written for us, and so we have to use discernment and wisdom. That's what we're going for. So think about this. They warned these apostles that they warned against those who would worm their way into congregations, worm their way into Bible college, worm their way into seminaries, and then cast doubt and turn and liberalism and the faith, orthodox faith begins to slide. Even Christian authors and publishers and Christian music and Christian movies. Loved ones, just because it says the name Christian doesn't mean that everything that is coming under that heading is, it must be good to go. Christian radio station, you still have to filter through, are they being Christ-like? Are, are we keeping the main thing the main thing, or is something else becoming the main thing? Let's don't check our brains at the door. Pay attention. And so Jude says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions, okay, it was spoken beforehand of the apostles. Apostolos is that Greek word, one sent out. Now, in one sense, we're all sent, OK? 
Okay, the Great Commission, if you're in Christ, you are a sent one, but that doesn't make you an apostle. I'm not an apostle, but I am sent. But there's a distinguishing there. And this is of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the full title. So what did the apostles warn us about? Well, loved ones, they warned us about those who would be scoffers. So you're going to need to pay attention. There are those who are going to be mockers. They mock the clear teaching of Scripture. They make light of God's holiness. They make light of Christ's return. They blur plain, obvious truth with all kinds of obscure opinions. Turn with me to Galatians. We studied through this letter not long ago. All of these sermons are online. You can find them all on our YouTube channel. You can find them on our webpage, My Grace Church, MI Grace Church. They're all there under sermons. When we got to Galatians chapter 4, Paul is so concerned. Remember, Paul had no zero commendation for the Galatians. He didn't have anything. He was thankful for what God had done, but he had nothing positive to say about the Galatians. And it's partly related to what Jude is writing about. It's along the same lines. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to what Paul says and how concerned he is for this, these believers. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be, to be known by God, you, you see how he's putting those two things together? How is it that we are saved? Well, I prayed and trusted Christ. Well, actually, he says, you were known by God. He found you and opened your blind eyes and you responded. This is human responsibility and sovereignty right, right here on display again. How can you turn back, he says there in verse 9, again, to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become your, of, your, of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. You hear what he's doing? You loved me. You were thankful to come to faith in Christ. And now I'm telling you the truth and you're ready to throw me away. Paul is appealing to them. I didn't change my stance. I didn't change my message. I haven't changed my demeanor. He's a little more, he's a little older now. He's weathered some more storms now, but he's not different to them. He loves them. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And, and let me just ask you, have you ever had this happen where you simply tell someone the truth and they love you and you love them and then you speak the truth to them and they are ready to cut you off and disown you and say, you bigot, you narrow-minded, whoever you are to them, family member, co-worker. This is what Paul is saying. This is, this is what is happening. And, and what's behind all of this, verse 17, they, so he's dealing with the Judaizers, the false teachers, they make much of you. Remember, we studied in Jude, they flatter you. But for no good purpose, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Can I just say a word to some of you who are mothers and you are feeling this even now? 
with children that you carried in a womb for nine months, your womb, and you gave birth to them, and you walked through life with them, and they have even some made a profession of faith, and now it feels like spiritually you are going through labor again. Paul is using graphic terminology to describe how much he loves them and what they are doing to him. And notice how he's not saying, I quit. Notice how he's not retaliating with great anger. He loves them. He says this, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. What do I do with you? You ever said that? What do I do with you? I don't know what to do with you. Who is this person talking to me right now? What, what, who, what happened? Go with me to Acts. Acts chapter 20, same individual. We come back to this text often. We're never going to move that far away from it. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 24. Remember, this is where Paul is called for the Ephesian elders. This is the last time they're getting together. You want to know what somebody is about and what really matters to them? It's when you hear their final words. Final words to the Ephesian elders face to face, and he says in Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, wake up, stay awake. Stay on guard, watch, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. Do you see the heart of Paul in those two passages from Galatians and Acts 20? May God help us in this. Pray for you. Pray for me. I, wanna, I don't want to be clever. I want to be clear. And that goes for you too. Wherever you go is not to have to think of something to impress people, but just be clear. Cast the seed and let God do the work. Peter prophesied about the increasing number of mockers. You can go back to Jude. I'm, I'm just going to read what Peter wrote. It's very similar. 2 Peter 3, 3 to 4, it'll come on the screen. Knowing this first of all, right? This is top priority, that scoffers will come in the last days with, well, what do scoffers bring with them? Scoffing. I think he has a theme going here. Following then their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is this Jesus what a joke. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They forgot the flood. They forgot the children of Israel in the wilderness. They forgot Egypt. Uh, they forgot the exile. They forgot Sodom and Gomorrah. Things have not always continued as they were from creation. And by the way, since you bring up creation, what happened to Adam and Eve, our first parents? So even in that, they make a, a wonderful speech, but they're lying. They're lying through their teeth. Paul warned Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. So you say, well, pastor, when are the latter times? When are the end times? When Jesus ascended and the Spirit came, 
the end times. The apostles believed Jesus could return at any moment. They were ready, living ready for him to return. They weren't waiting on, once this is done, then Jesus. No, they were waiting any moment. His return is imminent. 2 Timothy 3, Paul continues on in his warning to Timothy. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just more Bible studies and more Bible studies and more Bible studies and more Bible studies, and nothing ever is landed. The plane is circling and circling and circling, and they can't ever land it on a foundation of faith. Now here, Paul cites an extra-biblical Jewish history. So we've been talking about that in Jew, just as, verse 8, Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. Jewish tradition, they would have known what he was talking about, what was passed down, and he simply says, you remember how those guys didn't get anywhere? These people will not get anywhere. So be careful who you're hooking your wagon to. Make sure it's the truth, the faith. Contend for the faith. 2 Timothy 4, some of Paul's final words here. This is his swan song, his final letter to Timothy. And he says, and listen to this, this weight. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearance in his kingdom. Do you feel the weight that he just dropped on Timothy's head right there and shoulders? Like this is, this is a courtroom scene and he's saying, I charge you and the Godhead is over this charge, inspired by the Spirit. Timothy, here's what you and every man of God, every preacher after you, and honestly, for the people of God as well, it's not one thing for me and another thing for thee. It's, this is what we're all called to do. And he says this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. All right, it's deer season. It's either deer season or not deer season. When is it not one of those two? Never. That's a lot of double negatives in a sentence there. But the point is, be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete, this one tries me, patience and teaching. Be patient with all. Why, Paul? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as for you. Do you hear what he just did there? Same thing Jude is doing. But you, as for you. Timothy, here, there are people out, a dime a dozen, just trying to get people following them. What is it that you like? What is it that you want? And let's build a thing together but you, creativity not needed. As for you, verse 5, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. Paul instructed Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This follows right after how we're saved by grace through faith the kindness of the Lord. Titus 3, verse 8, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So loved ones, it's not just what we believe. It also needs to be matched with our actions. It's not one ditch or the other that we're orthodox, orthodox, and we don't do anything. 
Well, if God wants to do something, let him do it himself. He's sovereign. No. Well, we're just over here and we're all we're doing. It doesn't really matter what you believe because we're just, we're just being the hands and feet of Jesus and we're just feeding the poor and we're doing all this and we're doing all this. There is a line of truth that we need to walk. We need to have right belief and right behavior and it needs to meet right there in liberty. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to, to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But, Titus, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and, what's the word? Worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is a mocker. This is a scoffer. This is someone who, ah, oh, Jesus is going to return. That's not the most important thing. My thing is truth from Scripture, not most important. I have this opinion about this thing, that thing, the other thing. The apostles also warned us that they would be sensual, that they would follow their own ungodly passions. Jude has already talked about this. He's already mentioned this. Verse 4 of Jude, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. They're just about themselves. And judgment is coming, verse 15, upon all of the ungodliness. Now, we talked about this last week and we gathered in our small group and I just want to emphasize something. If you are in Christ Yes, we still struggle with sin. We're still incarcerated, like Paul said in Romans 7, in these bodies of flesh. But when, if you are in Christ, and the key word there is if, if you are in Christ, when will you and I ever be godless without God? When will we ever be without hope again? When, I'll tell you when. When the father disowns his son, that's when you and I have to be worried. When will that happen? Answer, never. So our confidence is not in ourselves. We are not confident in our flesh and our ability to perform and measure up. What did that do to earn our salvation? Nothing. Well, what, will it, what do will it help us keep our salvation? Nothing. It is God who saves. It is God who keeps. And when we're so in love with this God, you know what changes about our lives? Everything. It's a different motivation. We grow in grace. For these individuals the apostles warned about, Jesus isn't Lord of their lives. Lust is. Lust is Lord of their lives. Different types of appetites. They're so intent on following their own desires, they have no use for God, although they use his name, but they have no use for his moral requirements. They see the Bible as archaic and antiquated, and they don't see it as having any bearing on their lives today. After all, we, you know, we're in 2021. Come on, get with it. The times, it's all optional. And church leaders, those are optional. Maybe I'll listen. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just argue with them. They'll attempt to legitimize any type of lifestyle to accommodate their desires, to do whatever pleases them, and people who follow them. But the Bible says they're ungodly. They're godless. So this is attractive to many who would be followers of Christ, but they hate that message about you have to die to you first. And now somebody comes in the name of Jesus or in the name of God, and they offer them a form of spirituality, but you don't have to really say no to anything that you are or were. They discount everything. And people buy it up. 
They have itching ears. Just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me, tell me more about me and how I can have my best life. And, and now it really isn't it all about me. Well, these individuals were foretold by the apostles and they were described in precise detail. And we see this in verses 18 and 19. In verses 18 and 19, there's the detail and Jude is reminding, the, here's what the apostles said. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. These individuals, now, right, he, he's back into the trilogy. All right, some of you are fans of books or certain movies, and it comes out in a trilogy. And they make you wait. The Lord of the Rings did this. You have to wait a whole year to see the next part of the trilogy. Oh, man, I want to know what happened. They left me in suspense. Now, Jude keeps using trilogies through his letter. There's something going on here, and I believe it helps us understand what is he fighting against. That people are trying to reduce the lordship of Christ, Father, Son, Spirit, and he just keeps pounding away, and he keeps using triplicates, triplicates. So he says here in his set of three, they're divisive. Okay, these people cause schisms. The word, the original word, it means to disjoin. It means to separate from one another. Picture when you're watching, you know, Nat Geo Wild, right? And you're watching out in the, in the Sahara and you see the, the lions and they come up and they're looking at this herd. What are they looking for? First of all, they're watching for, for an animal that's what? Weak, okay? They move in. So you guys have been watching these. You know what's going on. They move in, they set their sights on a weak. Now what do they wanna do with that weak beast? separate it from the rest. And so they begin moving to get the herd separated so that that weak one turns off and is exposed and then it's game over. Unless the herd, and I've seen some of these videos, and the herd comes back and you're like, yeah, underdog, you know, and the little thing is limping off and, and all the other animals that are bigger and weightier came in and defended their own. And you're like, that is intense. But if they can separate that pack and they can get that weak animal alone, it's called dinner, right? That's the idea. They separate. So understand, when someone has subpar theology, they come in, they worm their way in, and they look for openings, they look for cracks, they look for people who don't know their Bibles, and they seek to say, but did you know but what about, have you read this book? How about that? But well, Oprah said, well, Rob Bell said, well, all these different people, and they start flinging this, and how, you know, and Jesus said, the judge not. And it just all is a smash up. And like, how did we get here? This is it. They're divisive. They separate. They stalk. They separate. And they snatch them up for dinner. It's the same way it happens. So the flock must be guarded. Do you know that God uses false teachers and false teach teaching to make a distinction within the church? You know, it was almost like this week, I, I was studying and working through this and church family life. And in my own personality, I, in my own, you know, who I am, I would rather not ever have this. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God actually uses this for a reason. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, 19, Paul said, for there must be factions among you. Like you actually have to have this in the church. In order that, there's a purpose for this, that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. The genuine believers say, uh, uh hold on, that's not proper, that's not right, that's not fitting, and that's not biblical. So we love you, but that's not right. Not, not just for the pastors, not just for the elders. The false teachers attempt to make lesser things more important. They want to divide up groups based on loyalty and false appearances of spirituality. They say things like, oh, you don't drink caffeine, do you? Oh, you know, oh, you wear that clothing? Oh, I was in that church over there, over there, and that clothing that they wore, oh, the clothing. 
Oh, and, and eating these foods or those foods, we don't eat those foods, we don't eat these other foods. And you can just fill in the blank. Oh, well, you don't, do you? And you're sitting there like, uh, actually, yeah. Oh, this, 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 this. Suddenly you feel like, am I even a Christian? We've got to know our Bibles. Listen to what Douglas Moo says. He says, we know that one of the almost inevitable byproducts of false teaching is division within the church. There are always some who are ready to listen to anything new and different, who are ready to be swept away by whatever new wind of teaching might be blowing. Know anyone like that? Maybe you even know in your own heart a tendency to be like this. Others, however, keep, keep the words from, from Scripture, but you, however, better anchored in the faith, resist. Just stand firm. No, not buying it. The Apostle John, right across the page here from Jude, he named names. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I didn't read this, but through John, just verses 9 through 12, John, this apostle of love, took a baseball bat to a couple, you know, to this guy. Not really, but through the pen he did. Third John, verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes. Now imagine if you're Diotrephes in the church, and everybody's like, whoa, he's talking about you, Mr. D. Yeah, that's me, Mr. D. What does he have to say about me? Who likes to put himself first. Do you wonder where he was sitting that day in the reading? Go ahead, read about me. You know, wherever he's at. Uh, he likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Fake news. And not content with that, I added it. It's not in there. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. See, Diotrephes was like, this is my church. Oh, there was someone in our church before, long before I was here, and when they left, they threw out the saying, this church won't make it without me. And I'm sure that person's not alone. I've heard that of many churches and people who believe the church won't make it without, do you know who they are? Well, they didn't die for the church and rise again, so the church will be just fine. And immediately they reveal, Mr. D, Diotrephes. But then since he's got this theme going, he thinks of another Mr. D. And this guy probably didn't want his name mentioned, and his name is Demetrius. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Did you hear him do it? what Paul did and what Jude did? He talks about Mr. Diotrephes, but you... You see what he's doing? He is separating. He, he's, he's putting a line in the sand. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but good. Imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. You paying attention, Diotrephes? Verse 12, Demetrius. Now, if you're Demetrius and you're humble and you're thinking, oh, what did I do? Oh, no. It didn't go so well for Diotrephes over there. Lord, Bring it on, whatever, I need to be corrected. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. We're not lying. And everyone that knew Demetrius would have said, man, we love Demetrius. What a servant of God. What a faithful man of God. And there was a division. Diotrephes, you won't give me all the flattery I want. You can't be part of this church. But the apostles, I don't care about the apostles. And other people, but bro, you know, come on, man. They, they, they have a confession of faith and they believe in, and they, they, and he's putting them out if they don't buy into their, his program. Verse 13. 
this scripture came up, many of us are reading through the Bible this year, and this came up to just put this all together. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Do you realize, the Lord had to teach me this even this week, that this is actually a good thing that the Lord allows in our lives so that our hearts are strengthened by grace. Don't be led astray. There's no benefit to, I eat this, I don't eat that, in, in spiritual terms. There is for your body. He says they're divisive. And then secondly, he says they're worldly. They're worldly. Now, some of you might hear the, the preacher that, you know, pounds the pulpit. The world, the world, the world. Worldly people. The word here is just natural. Soulish. These people just tend to live like everybody else that hasn't been born again. The unregenerate person does not live submitted to Christ. They live for themselves. They set their agenda. They set their schedule. Everything that they do from their checkbook to their calendar to their thought, their planning of their day, it does never begin with, what does God want me to do right here this morning as I'm waking up? What does God want me to do today? What honors God? That's not, that may get there when they're around other people who are saying that, but that is not the driving force of their life. They are simply like everybody else who really, they don't know God. So some of those people are like, well, I like to go to church. I like to sing. I like the fellowship. I like the community. But Jesus isn't the commanding force of their life, the driving person that rules them. They're just worldly. They're simply living like everybody else as if this life is all there is, as if there's no God, and if there's no eternity right around the corner. It's a worldly person, just earthly. Just like the people in Noah's day, Luke 17, 27, Jesus said, now we know they were, they were you know, there was wickedness, everybody was doing evil, and Jesus says, here's, here's at the core of evil, these people were just eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They were just living like judgment would never come. Whatever, Noah, judgment's coming. Sure, okay, what have you been on there? Nice boat, Noah. Why don't you build it a little bigger? <laughs> Mocking. Jesus said there was... A rich fool in Luke 12, 20. He was really smart financially. But toward God, he was a fool. And remember what he said? Oh, I got barns, but I need bigger barns. I need better barns. I'm going to tear these barns down and build newer ones because I can. But God said to him, at the end of the day, loved ones, this is all that matters. What does God say about you? Does God call you beloved or fool? Big difference. Fool, this night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The barns that you didn't have a chance to rip down, who's going to get those? Because you're not going to see another day. And loved ones, aren't we reminded quite often of how brief life is? how quickly time passes. If we see ourselves in any of these areas, we need to repent. There's a call to repentance here. Thirdly, they're devoid of the Spirit. This is at the heart of the problem. They've not been born from above. They have not been born of the Spirit. They have not been born of God. They have a physical birthday, but they don't have a spiritual birthday. 
They've never been born again. They're devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit of God. If a person does not have the Spirit of God, then the Bible says they do not belong to Christ. Paul writing in Romans 8, verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So listen, don't get mad at people for not being moral. If they don't have the Spirit of God in them, they're spiritually blind, they're spiritually dead. So just getting upset with them won't change the situation. And I'm preaching as much to me as I am to you. There's something wrong and it's beneath the surface. It's in the heart. And what can we do? The heart surgeon can't fix this. But God can. And he does. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, cannot satisfy the sin debt, cannot make up the difference owed to God because it's all his. We were born naked we enter the world and we leave naked. We have nothing but our soul that Jesus died for. You, however, verse 9, Romans 8, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. Do you you see the contrast again? There's a difference here. There's a division here. There's a distinction here. That's why we ask when people join the church, what is your testimony of faith? What is your statement of faith? And if someone cannot give a salvation testimony of faith, we cannot receive them. Because it's not, we we never want to give the impression that being part of this group is the be all, end all, now it's done. The church asked me for a testimony of faith before calling me to be a pastor here. Well, I was a pastor before. So tell us how you came to faith in Christ. That's what we want to know about. We'll get to the other things later because they're important, but they're not most important, right? You, whoever not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Life-giving spirit. You see, these individuals, they don't have the spirit of God of them. They have not received the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.3, the ultra super religious guy, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Loved ones, Jesus did not come to give us an improved life. He came to give us new life, resurrection life. It's not just a fresh start. It's a whole new birth. There's a big difference between modification and tore it down and start it over. This is what we celebrate in communion. His body was broken. His blood was shed to give us life. So those who are devoid of the Spirit, they're not functioning under the control of the Spirit of God. They're under the authority and control of another spirit. And the Apostle John warned, and this even came up in our our small group last week, 1 John chapter 4, as we were talking about different spirits and and how do we know if the Spirit of God dwells in us. And John writes, 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, verse 4, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? They are from the world. Same thing as what Jude is talking about. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world says, I'm hearing you. Loud and clear, I'm listening to you. I like your message. But we, verse 6, are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Isn't that bottom shelf? 
He just puts it right on the bottom shelf. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What are they doing? Jesus, Paul, John, Jude, they're they're expanding that line to show the difference of who, who controls you, who is Lord over you, who rules your heart. To what are you surrendered? This world? that's passing away? Or to the Son of God who came from heaven and lived the life you can never live, died the death you deserve to die, raised to life again, ascended and is coming again for you one day. Big difference. John Phillips says it this way. He says, many natural men have never so much as heard the gospel. The apostate, by contrast, has heard the good news He has fully understood the truth, and that should be has. He has fully understood the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. He or she might even have made some kind of a profession of faith in Christ. However, he has repudiated all of that and deliberately embraced a Christ-rejecting, Bible-denying, soul-destroying, man-exalted theology. We do not rejoice over that. Over these individuals, we grieve for them. So what then is our message? What is it that we will contend for? Just a few weeks ago, Ginger and I were able to go back to Illinois, and this verse that's going to come on the screen from 2 Corinthians 4 was the closing section of the message there. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. If we can remember that, that separates a lot of what is important to the person you're talking to. Are they Christ-centered or me-centered? It sounds completely different. with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So loved ones, we do not preach ourselves. We preach Christ. He is Lord. Oh, we need godly wisdom and we need biblical discernment, loved ones. Remember the divine warning is all we're gonna get to today. It's foretold by the apostles and described in precise details. Next week, we'll see. Let's ready ourselves in grace and rescue the perishing. That's not next week. Next week, Irfan will be with us. So you got to wait two weeks. Okay, this is just going to simmer inside of me. We'll see if I get a message done with those two points or if in two weeks it expands and it's like a trilogy. I'm just going to follow Jude's lead. We'll see about that. All right, a couple questions, all right? How is it that false teaching, false teachers can actually end up being a blessing to the church? Think about that. Now, we don't sin that grace will abound, Romans 6.1, but God even uses my own sin to make me hate sin more, and I praise him for that. Do you see evidence of the new birth in you? Do you see evidence of the new birth in you? Do you see a change happening in you? Because as we celebrate communion today, we celebrate the, the body broken, the blood shed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, we have hope in Christ. And this hope is for all the world, for all the world. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, we hallow your name. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for your word, and thank you for the gospel. And even now, Lord, I thank you for the body broken and the blood shed for sinners. I thank you that salvation is available and freely offered to anyone, that I can say the words of Christ with all authority, that if anyone is weary and heavy laden, that Jesus said, then come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Lord Jesus, you were talking about rest for our souls, our sin-sick souls. Thank you that you are gentle and lowly, and you delight in showing mercy. Lord, you are 
our God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.